gonemobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Welcome back to Gone Mobile. In this episode, we're joined by Sean Anderson and Drew Colthorpe. How's it going today, guys? Great. Hey, good. Good. Uh, and maybe we should just go, um, you know, have one of you speak at a time and, and say who you are so that, because uh, in the, since in the epi- this episode, we have two different guests, you know, give, give people some sort of gauge on who's who. Okay. So I'm Drew Colthorpe, and uh, we, uh, both Sean and I work at a company called Atomic Object, and we're in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yep. And as Drew mentioned, I'm Sean Anderson and also a software developer at Atomic Object. Awesome. It's great to have you on. So, so like we were just talking about, um, you know, what, what spawned the, the interest for doing this show was a blog post that you guys put out, uh, it was probably, what, a month or two ago around an application that you were building where you ended up using Xamarin as a replacement for Cordova in a, in a hybrid app, which, which is a story that you don't really hear told all that often, especially in the, in the Xamarin world. Like, it's, you know, it, it gets talked up for all the native stuff, but no one really talks a lot about using it as a, as a shell for hybrid, uh, app, or hybrid app development, for that matter. Um, so, so kind of before we get to the, the Xamarin part, I mean, can you speak a little bit to the, you know, the type of app that you were building and, and what made you choose to do it as a hybrid app in the first place? Um, yeah, why don't I, I'll tackle that part. Um, so here at Atomic, we are always working on various projects that come in. And, uh, as a software consultancy, we have to build, uh, mobile apps, desktop apps, like every various thing. And a lot of times we have these customers that are coming in and they want to build kind of an ecosystem around their product. Um, and so this ecosystem might be a, a website, an API, an iOS app, an Android app. Um, and so we have this this ongoing challenge of how do we share the most code possible um, and streamline the development. So in this, this particular case, um, we had been kind of keeping an eye on Xamarin, but not having a chance to dig into it too much. Um, we definitely liked the idea that we could use um, a high-level language. We could use things um, like dependency injection and interfaces, um, and hopefully have some high performance right from the get-go. Um, and so, if if we're gonna try out Xamarin, we had this project that um, seemed like a really good. So let me take a step back and kind of explain how we landed on this project. Um, this this project is not released yet, so I don't want to speak too much to all of the, the nuance to it, but um, it's used to manage stuff in warehouses and kind of an asset management system. And the customer came to us uh, with a quote-unquote production-ready prototype that had been built by um, another vendor. And so we looked at it. it. It looked at first blush like it was okay, and we used that to bootstrap our development. Um, some of the requirements that came in were it needed full offline support uh, because we're going to be in a big metal tin warehouse. Um, and we needed a lot of native support for things like BLE, camera, um, push notifications, location services. Um, and the prototype we were given was already built in Cordova. And so we looked at it and said, it looks okay. Let's, let's start building on that. 
Um, so once we started building on that, we realized that it was actually <laughs> kind of kind of garbage um, implementation wise. Um, there's there's the, a reason people the, people the, <laughs> the prototype not Cordova. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry. The uh, the well <laughs> the 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 term production prototype is kind of silly, um, and so after after looking at it, we decided to throw a lot of it away, but keep the the tech stack in place. And so we started building um, a front end that's implemented in Ember.js, uh, which was worked really well. It was performant. Uh, it was great for the data binding that we needed to do um, early on. Um, and that's kind of how we bootstrapped into, now we have a Cordova app that has um, a bunch of data and uh, we we started bumping into problems. Um, do you want to you want to speak to that a little bit, Drew? Yeah. So um, originally the the project was just targeted at you know pretty small customers um, that had you know not like a lot of stuff that they needed to deal with in the app. Um, you know we we had this kind of legacy already uh, prototype that our customer was hoping to kind of reuse as much as possible to control costs. Um, so. Uh, what we had was a pretty simple mechanism of just kind of like local storage plus in-memory caching for the data that we needed to deal with um, that we would kind of load on demand as the as the user kind of navigate around the application. But uh, what ended up happening was um, the requirements changed, of course, and instead of just being targeted at small customers, they wanted this to scale to kind of large um, enterprises. And so we're talking about kind of greater than 10x need for local data um, and our, what was originally kind of our keep it simple, stupid approach that that worked well for this, the small amount of data just fell over um, kind of right away once we started to look at at scaling out. And um, we spent a little bit of time looking at, you know, could we cash in a little bit of a smarter way? Uh, you know, we were able to, to get to a point where we could handle more data uh, than what we had, you know, architected and structured the app around originally. But it was still just kind of not in a really good place uh, performance-wise. Uh, so, you know, be, because we're a consultancy and we're, we're working with a lot of different clients and uh, we're constantly kind of looking at how can we build apps more effectively, reuse more, share more, um, to try to enable us to be agile in the face of uh, changing requirements uh, and also kind of keep keep costs under control. We've been looking at Xamarin as a great option for doing cross-platform mobile applications, uh, having a C-sharp uh, as you know, a high-level language that we can use um, across both Android and iOS, but still have direct access to platform-specific features. Um, Xamarin Forms, we, we hadn't used it before, and I still haven't really used it, the two of us at least, um, significantly, but uh, looked like a great option for kind of specifying cross-platform interfaces, but still leveraging um, native components under the hood. So when we started to run into these performance problems, and we'd been looking at uh, Xamarin for a while as something that we wanted to look at for um, use on future apps, uh, it seemed like a good opportunity to kind of come in and, and solve the specific performance um, issue that we had, but also kind of explore Xamarin as an option for um, future projects. Uh, and, and a few things um, jumped out to us in particular. One, uh, direct um, uh, inter integration with SQLite using like SQLite.net gave us a, you know, a, a pretty easy way of interacting with the database, 
you know, automatic conversion to C-sharp types, um, basic support for kind of uh, query expressions made, made it pretty easy to interact with the database. Um, the great sort of async uh, await support in, uh, in C-sharp meant that uh, we could kind of move away from sort of the promises and or pyramid of doom callback um, you know structures that that we had uh, to some extent in the JavaScript application uh, and you know we didn't really honestly we didn't we didn't really look that much into uh, web workers or other you know other things that we could have done to optimize the Cordova application um, we kind of you know as we were starting to look at we need to kind of do some heavy lifting in in some way with with in terms of re-architecting the application to support the larger data sets, uh, we kind of looked at it as a good opportunity to dive into Xamarin. But there were a couple of other things that, that fed into that as well. Uh, there were a lot of new features that were coming up um, where we were going to be um, needing to interact with um, hardware, do BTLE integration, um, uh, stuff like that. And um, so we, you know, we, we could have stuck with Cordova, but um, doing, you know, doing um, uh, implementing a bunch of uh, new plugins for Cordova to, to support the hardware that we're going to need to integrate with just seemed like something that was going to be additional kind of cost and complexity. Uh, so we, we kind of jumped at the opportunity to switch over to Xamarin to kind of, uh, you know, solve the challenges that we had. So are you looking at this like, um, you know, a, a project of slowly migrating completely over to Xamarin? Like, it sounds like you started out with the bits that, you know, made sense to keep in Cordova and you're moving things over as as maybe you hit performance issues. Or how, like, what kind of percentage now of your app is Xamarin versus Cordova? And and do you see that changing a lot over time? And, um, yeah, um, I, yeah, I think I, I can speak to this. Um, so percentage-wise, I would say that very little of the UI is actually in Xamarin. Um, and, and part of that was because of us coming out of this pre-built app that was, I mean, it was on the App Store, it was built, it was there, it just, we're adding features to it. Um, we wanted to be able to leverage that. And all of that was wired up working well um, in Ember.js. Um, all of that was wired up and tested via um, Ember.js acceptance test, et cetera. And so that's really, that was our sweet spot in this app for building the UI. Um, but that said, um, to get the performance, we basically rewrote the, the underlying model layer. Um, and that was a really good starting point um, for things like camera integration and things like that. We basically ported over a couple plugins um, to give us native support. But very, very little, like a couple, a couple controllers, et cetera. Um, and so maybe 15, 20% of the app is done in Xamarin right now. But what it did is it opened up the door for us to have some other options. So we could do um, custom views for camera access. We can do custom native widgets um, if we wanted to um, you know, rework some of, the, some of the navigation to be native components, et cetera. All those doors are open now. Um, and we really liked where that put us in terms of overall project architecture. Um, we don't have direct plans to, to go that way, uh, but definitely like that it opened the door for that. Yeah, so, so originally the app was pretty much entirely JavaScript, um, and we were using um, a kind of an interface, a layer on top of, uh, uh, what was it, Web, web uh, SQL that we were using? Yeah, we were using Local Forage. Yeah, um, and that, you know, that got us quite a ways, but um, what we what we decided to kind of 
I do is instead of having kind of all JavaScript all the way down and then working around our, the limitations that we had um, with you know some of the performance optimizations we wanted to put in place, um, what we kind of did instead was we we just said okay let's let's basically port port Cordova to Xamarin, uh, which um, which basically just <laughs> meant create a um, a bog standard Xamarin uh, forms application, pull in a component that um, that implements a a, a web view with um, support for adding pretty straightforward hooks. Uh, and then boot the application up in that web view. Um, it really, it really only took us a few days to have our Ember application running the same way it, it was in Cordova under um, under Xamarin. Uh, but then, you know, that didn't really solve the problems that we were aiming to solve. It was kind of just a starting point. So, uh, what we kind of um, did was we implemented uh, more and more services in C Sharp that and exposed them to JavaScript. And kind of um, C Sharp took over for the the lower layers of the implementation, um, you know, model layer data access, hot loops for processing data that we wanted to be really efficient, um, and then kind of gradually grew up the stack. Um, and, and it actually did a lot to really simplify a lot of the implementation of the application. We uh, we were able to use um, Rx for uh, managing kind of um, events. Uh, and then using async await for a lot of the kind of asynchronous stuff that we needed to do, communicating with our uh, web server, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and we were able to kind of move away from, you know, pulling data in and sort of caching it locally, sort of in memory, and just just go to a model where we fetch whatever we need directly from SQLite every time the user navigates between pages. So we deleted a bunch of caching code um, and things got got faster uh, and scaled a lot better as we were able to just kind of move toward, uh, you know, hand optimized SQL queries for uh, for dealing with fetching the data and the kind of reporting we needed to do within the app um, versus trying to kind of work around the limitations of, of what we had had originally. Right. And there's a ton in there that I definitely want to start digging into and dissecting. Um, but before we get there, like one thing I'm just curious of at a general level is is what made you look at Xamarin as your potential replacement in the first place? Like, was it that your team already had C-sharp experience so that you were coming in with at least the, the language knowledge there? Or did it just, did was it a, a totally new world that just looked like a good idea? Um, I, I had done a fair, quite a bit of C-sharp in the past. Sean, have you, had you done C-sharp previously? Most most of the team had some C sharp experience, so we knew that wouldn't be a problem. Um, it was it was mostly that this, we'd been hearing a lot about Xamarin. It'd been on our radar, but it's really hard to evaluate any sort of technology without some sort of real world project to kind of put it under some stressors and see, okay, well, how mm -hmm. is this going to shake out? What are the problems? Um, we actually did, did this. Um, I think Drew spent some some time off on his own, kind of off the project, kind of spiking this in to feel it out before we we went um, full on into this conversion. Um, just to kind of figure that out. But it was definitely that we had heard about it. It's this cross-platform solution. You know, can it deliver on, on kind of what we'd read about it? And um, mm -hmm. and that was the impetus for for jumping into it. Yeah, and we, we'd used some other uh, cross-platform mobile development toolkits before. We'd done some work in RubyMotion, uh, which compiles Ruby um, for either Android or iOS, but it doesn't really offer sort of the cross-platform UI toolkit, or at least... I mean, if it does now, I, I haven't really been following, but, um, you know, at the time, you know, it was it was more just a way of sharing code uh, across both iOS and Android. Uh, 
the fact that um, Xamarin, you know, is a commercial entity that supports it. Our, you know, this particular customer had developers in house that do C sharp, and having the option of having kind of a a, a support agreement uh, with Xamarin for, you know, if, should anything go wrong, um, was was something that was that we really saw as a plus. But ultimately, when it comes to just sort of building cross platform applications. You know, your, your options are, for the most part, some sort of JavaScript-based solution like React Native or something like that, um, you know, or, uh, or something that compiles down into JavaScript. Uh, or, um, you know, there, there just aren't a lot of uh, straightforward, easy-to-use platforms where a company like ours where you can't invest. We, we want to be able to kind of hit the ground running and start building an app uh, right away without having to, you know, invest a lot in tooling. Uh, Xamarin just made it really easy to hit the ground running and start building an application um, in, a, in a high level language that, that made it that solved a lot of the problems that you know we need to solve on a regular basis uh, and it, it just seemed like a really good fit so yeah right and, and I think I heard you mention that you were making use of Xamarin forms there instead of say doing separate um, you know the the kind of what's now called the classic, you know, Xamarin iOS, Xamarin Android kind of approach. I mean, did you end up having to customize much or anything per platform, or is it really just were you able to completely lean on forms to handle that side of things? We were able to, in this case, completely lean on forms because the entire UI is basically HTML and, and Ember. Um, but uh, as you know, I mean, I don't have any, much firsthand experience with it, but it seems like a seems like a good approach. Um, I, I really like that. You know, we can kind of specify a UI in a cross-platform way. It uses native widgets on a per-platform per basis, um, but we can kind of drop down and implement custom components if we need to, uh, you know, in order to, like, work around the sort of limitations of what's already there in the framework or if we need to build some sort of, like, special visualization. But then we can do that without having to implement the, thing, the same thing once in Java and once in Objective-C. We can write, uh, write them both in C-sharp share helper functions, share business logic, that type of thing. So that seemed seemed really compelling. Like the ability to do a lot of sharing across platforms, but without being tied into something that um, you can, you're potentially going to outgrow and then be stuck when you get to the point of, of running into those limitations. Can yeah, you talk think, a little bit about the um, interop layer, like what that looks like between your C-sharp code and, and the hybrid web view uh, world? Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, Ember Ember's based really heavily on data binding. Um, you kind of have this graph of objects that sort of observe one another. It's, it's a little bit like RX, except it's um, it's a little bit higher level and a little more object oriented. So any Ember object can have properties that are defined in terms of another um, another other properties, and it tracks dependencies of those properties throughout um, throughout the application. So if you mutate uh, a property on one object somewhere, it can flow through the application and lead to an update uh, in the UI. Um, so you know, like Excel or something like that. Uh, we were using that pretty heavily. We had a, a data model built very much around, you know, leveraging that. Um, and and one of the one of the limitations, or or features, maybe a feature is a better a better term for it, of the um, of the the APIs for integrating with uh, with the native web views is that they're they're fundamentally asynchronous. So we can't 
we couldn't really do quite the same thing and and have say objects in C sharp and then expose those properties down into um, into iOS. So we went for something that that would just kind of be like a pretty simple alternative. Uh, we have um, we created a like a namespace like an object in JavaScript called Xamarin, uh, which basically um, exposed kind of two mechanisms. You could call Xamarin.invoke and you give it a string to specify what you want to do, and it would return a a promise that um, for the result. Uh, and then the other one was to subscribe to um, Xamarin.subscribe and you give it a string that represents the, the event you want to observe and a lambda and it'll invoke that lambda uh, every time that happens. So on the JavaScript side, it was a pretty, you know, pretty native um, interface. And then exposing that um, uh, to JavaScript, uh, we, we just have this mechanism where we can add uh, C-sharp attributes to methods on classes. And when the application boots, uh, we basically just kind of reflect over um, over the classes in the project. And um, uh, anything that has any method that has a web callback attribute is automatically exposed to the um, to the Ember application. So if I have if I create like a Bluetooth service and I add an attribute to that um, to uh, you know something to um, connect to a device. Uh, then I can call like, you know, xamarin.call Bluetooth service.connect uh, and pass whatever arguments that I want. Uh, and then that'll, that'll invoke the C sharp code for us automatically. Uh, so uh, to kind of step, take a step back for a second, the, the two main mechanisms then are you expose a method that you want to be able to invoke uh, from JavaScript. Uh, and that has to be an, an async method that when you um, you know when you call it returns a task of some type. Uh, when you want to invoke it from JavaScript, we just serialize your arguments to JSON, um, send them into C sharp, and then use JSON.net to coerce those to the the types of the arguments that the function's expecting. And then whenever your function's done doing whatever it needs to do, it just returns a task with the result. Um, and well. And uh, then we convert that to JSON, send it into JavaScript, and invoke the callback. And that got us actually like a really long way. We got through a lot of what we needed to do with that. But then the other thing that we needed to do was, um, you know, subscribe to events that were uh, being emitted on the C sharp side. Um, do you remember off the top of your head, Sean, what some of the, what 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 a couple of those were? Oh, sure. Uh, so the easiest one, it would be that we pair with a barcode scanner, for instance. So this thing's very much pushed from the native layer, and we need to show that in the UI. We need to select something or, or pull in that barcode. And so we have, um, you know, this, this is all wired up in the C-sharp side via Rx streams and things. And I know in your previous podcasts you've, you've done on um, Rx and things like that. Like, we're basically wiring our JavaScript right up to the end of our, our Rx stream for those sorts of things. Um, and, and Drew went through the steps it takes to, to do these things, and it sounds like a lot of steps, but with it wired up the way it is and the automatic serialization, it's really cake to, to add new subscriptions, to add new uh, callbacks. It's really like, oh, here's your method, tack an attribute on it, and now you can call it from JavaScript. Um, mm -hmm. And you can even see that if you look in the, the sample app that I, that I uh, pushed in GitHub. It's actually really easy to use, and it's very nice. Yeah, it's really interesting, um, and it sounds super generic and uh, completely reusable too. And and I, and you know, I can't speak to to how specific the implementation is to the app that that you were doing this inside of. But is this even something that you could potentially or or are planning on pulling out of that in 
maybe releasing or packaging as something that you either you or other folks could actually leverage in their apps? Yeah, it, it, there's not anything anything in it that's specific. It's basically like one class that has some uh, somewhat gnarly reflection code in it in order to do the the type coercion, you know, uh, from from JavaScript into C sharp types and back. Uh, but yeah, it's it the the goal is basically you just write some code in C sharp, tack an attribute on it, and then you call into it from JavaScript. So if you want to just invoke something. You write the C sharp code, you know, write your unit tests in Xamarin, tack an attribute on it, and then call into it from JavaScript. Um, and then, and then with the events, exact same thing, but instead of returning a task, you return just kind of an observable event stream. So for the for the scanning um, use case, we just say something like begin scanning, and and here's call this callback every time the the user uses the the scanner to scan a barcode. Um, our C sharp code just you know, did the connection and created an observable in order then and emitted events on that every time a scan happened. And then the, the intermediate layer just takes care of uh, translating those events in the C-sharp code into function invocations in, um, in JavaScript. So it's yeah. write a function, add an attribute, and you're, you're basically done. Yeah, and I, I don't know um, what it would look like necessarily to try to package that up into something other than here's an example of doing it. Um, there, there's so many nuances to like how you want to configure your app, what dependency injection framework to use, et cetera. So we just we just pushed out a sample app that says this is how you use um, the the hybrid web view. This is how you you extend it, and uh, you just have this the, the two files to look at would be a, a callback service and the the C sharp side, and then a Xamarin interop.js. And by looking at that example and grabbing those two files, you're pretty much off and running. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Raygun offers leading error and crash reporting to over 30,000 developers around the globe and now offers real user monitoring for both web and mobile apps. Raygun's native mobile support brings deep analytics about how users are engaging with your mobile apps. Raygun platform customers can discover problems affecting their end users automatically, giving developer teams unique insights into the performance of their apps. Raygun offers a free 30-day trial, so get started at raygun.com today and make sure to thank them for sponsoring Gone Mobile. Nice. And did you notice any, like, did you see any noticeable performance hit or anything as you're doing this, this interop across these two sides or all this like JSON serialization just to get kind of across that, that divide? There is, there is a little bit of overhead, but it, it was, if, if anything, it was a huge performance win because it allowed us to take what already had some serialization overhead, you know, and, and turn what what, it, what was the equivalent of like an N plus one query problem into like an optimized lookup. So, you know, one of the things that is always a challenge is when you do start to run into a performance problem, are you boxed into your current solution and is it difficult for you to break out and find something else that you can do? But with... Um, you know, with with this setup, you know we can you can basically just invoke arbitrary C sharp functions from JavaScript. So we could push hot loops, database lookup, whatever we want into C sharp, where we have, you know, optimized native code that has direct efficient access to the database, um, doing whatever analysis and whatever work it needs to do, and then it can just pass back the high level summary, for example, to um, to the web front end. So. Um, there, you know, there's a little bit of overhead, but JSON.NET is, you know, is fast. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't, 
one of the other things too is that we, we were we were kind of careful to expose to our Ember app APIs that would allow us to do things like bulk lookup. So instead of having to go back and forth between um, the web view and C sharp again and again, we could kind of with a single invocation say, hey, here's the stuff we need. Uh, we could do like a single SQLite query to fetch that. Um, serialize it once into uh, into JSON with just the data that we need. Pass that back over into the uh, the web view. Um, so there there is some overhead there, but it's 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 overhead that was honestly there anyway with with what we were doing before, um, and the the flexibility of being able to just seamlessly choose: do we want to write C sharp code uh, that's fast and has direct access to hardware native APIs in our database? or um, write JavaScript code where it's kind of high level and we have all this, uh, the power of Ember and the existing UI and CSS styling. We didn't have to make a hard choice. Uh, yeah. It was just you know <laughs> really easy for us to be like, oh, this belongs in C Sharp or this belongs in JavaScript. Um, yeah, and I, and I think looking at the performance, um, is, it's like you were saying, it's totally a no-brainer for us in, in our current situation. And I think it's worth pointing out the difference between this approach and something like a Cordova um, or some of its competitors are that they are trying to give you access to the native pieces uh, from JavaScript, mm-hmm. right? So they're they're trying to say you can call into this little piece here or there, um, but JavaScript is the authoritative source, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is nice and simple. This approach, we're saying the authoritative source is the Xamarin app, which means we can spin off in other threads. We're not limited to the JavaScript um, single-threaded problem. Um, so our UI performs better. It, like th- this was completely a, a no-brainer for for our situation. Um, there, like Drew said, there is just a little bit of overhead there, but it was um, not a problem at all for us. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so is that does that kind of sum up like one of the big performance or the reasons this was a big performance win for you? Then, like by making it so that your your in-browser operations really are just UI related, and everything else is shelled out to to Xamarin. Yeah, yeah, I think I mean I think that's a big part of it is uh, offload the main UI thread was part of it, um, and then the other part of it uh, was there's you know direct access to SQLite from C Sharp, uh, being able to take advantage of like the really nice ability to you know define our own types in C Sharp and um, have our queries you know populate those types. Um, you know, we could we had you know very precise control over well should these be classes or structs and um, how much data do we want to include and what types do they get converted into access to kind of all the all the built-in libraries um, for you know C sharp types and the ability to pull in third-party libraries if we need to for for other things that we might need to be able to do. Yeah, and I, th- I think one thing that we've kind of been hand waving over in terms of. Um, what we did implement in the, the Xamarin side of things, we've been talking about database access and records and serialization, um, which you could probably get um, pretty close to that with some Cordova plugins for SQL uh, for SQLite. Um, but there's also this whole bucket of business logic and rules that we were able to wrap up and write in C Sharp services that we didn't. We were able to get the native performance, and we didn't have to write it in two different platforms, and that was a huge win. Um, and I'm just I'm just thinking in terms of like how we were um, parsing uh, Bluetooth data and packets and wrapping them up, and then we're sent we're sending things up to the server. There's a whole bunch of business logic in there um, that we only had to write once, and we only had to test once, mm-hmm. um, and that was that was fantastic coming out of this rewrite. 
And, and so I think your server side is all done in .NET. Like, is is that the technology you're using on the back end? Uh, no, actually, the the back end for this is a Rails API. Um, and so this is just a it's a REST API. However, given the the offline support that we had to run with, um, we had to be able to work in a tin can with no access and still give full functionality. Um, so things like just canning up our requests until we have network access weren't nearly good enough. And so we kind of we have a, a local backend that we needed to work with as well as the remote backend. Yeah, I think I mean I think like doing this like doing this again. Uh, you know, ha- now having like some firsthand experience with with Xamarin, like the the idea, the um, ability to do your backend in .NET and do your um, your front end in you know C Sharp as well, potentially having some shared business logic, for example, between the two is like a really like that's a really compelling option. Mm-hmm. For us, the the really big win was. Um, just not having to not having to decide make decisions up front that we might come to regret later. Uh, we had um, one C sharp app for Android uh, that had direct access to Android APIs. I'm sure your listeners are fully aware of all this, but another C sharp app that was specific to iOS. Um, and had direct access to iOS APIs, another and then another library that compiled into each of those. So um, you know and then coupling that with our front end, uh, which was, you know, which was a web view. We could do whatever made sense in JavaScript in our web view. Uh, anything that we wanted to, with with zero overhead or or effort, um, implement it in C sharp uh, instead. Uh, if we wanted um, sh- to share that logic across iOS and Android, we just put it in the shared project. If it if it needed to leverage um, platform specific features, we just define an interface in the shared project and implement it once for iOS and, and another time for Android. Uh, and then throw that into our dependency injection container. So the going forward, I mean, originally, uh, you know, we had a, a pretty a pretty simple app that could handle you know, pretty small amounts of data, and it was de- designed to be kind of you know uh, pretty quick to get to market. And then as the the need scaled, we just were bumping into this these problems of okay, we implement a new feature, but now we need to okay now with more data, we need to go back and make that feature fast. But um, by having sort of the the core logic of the application be written in Xamarin and um, have direct access to the database, you know, it was a lot easier for us to just have it be fast the first time um, and to just put the logic in the right place depending on what we needed to do. And I mean, you know, I think going forward, uh, we may or may not use this pattern um, pattern again. I mean, one of the one of the nice things about it was. Um, you know, we have a lot of web expertise. Uh, we've done a lot in, you know, CSS, JavaScript, uh, HTML in the past. So being able to leverage that that expertise for doing the front end, but without having to um, have a perceived cost of ne- when we need to dive in and do something uh, do something natively. But um, I think really for us, the the more compelling win. I think longer term is knowing that, you know, if we, when we're building applications and we need to have some sophisticated UI that's on the web and on mobile, uh, we don't have to necessarily face, face the challenge of, do we go, um, you know, uh, do we have to go and re-implement this, this complicated logic in both JavaScript and in iOS and in Android? Like if, if we want to, you know, we could, because this was a Xamarin Forms app, 
this particular app was all, you know, an all HTML uh, interface, but it could have just as easily been a single component on what would other in what, what would otherwise be a, a regular standard Xamarin Forms application. Um, one one other project that we worked on had. Uh, you know, it had like this really this really data driven UI. Um, the customer needed to be able to configure workflows and have that drive drive the way that the user interacted with it, and it needed to work on both the web and on mobile. Well, knowing that we could implement something like that once using our front end tool of choice, whether it's Ember or Angular or whatever, pull that into our native app, and then seamlessly call into um, call into Xamarin. You know, we we can implement that that sophisticated UI once, reuse it across platforms, uh, but then still be able to use native components for all the rest of the application, be able to have write high, like, you know, performant code and have direct access to platform features without a lot of overhead, um, uh, both in, you know, performance, but more importantly, implementation time um, was, it was a, it was a, a pretty, a pretty nice uh, combination of um, options for us. And one thing I'm wondering, um, as you're kind of talking through some of this stuff, like that, now that you have the, this real hard segregation of, of your front end UI logic and all of the styling and all of that that's going on, that's purely over in the, the JS, HTML, CSS side, um, and you're marrying that with your, you know, the business logic side of the app, which is all on the C sharp side. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you were also able to leverage that as a way to say sort of like, pull down updates to the app without having to go through legit app updates or be it style content or front end logic content or anything like that. We, we don't have that implemented right now, but that would be kind of, yeah, it'd be, it'd be a pretty next, uh, a pretty logical next step. Um, it, you know, part of this too is just the way that the project evolved over time as a Cordova application that we then ported to Android. You know, we, we didn't, we, we didn't architect for that upfront uh, because at the, by the by the point we were moving over to Xamarin, we had some concrete issues that we wanted to solve kind of as quickly as possible. So we were aiming for uh, with a minimum of disruption to the rest of the team um, and to velocity, uh, make these kind of underlying technological changes um, to get us to get us over to Xamarin. But then that would allow us to a implement new features using you know using the tools of C Sharp and Xamarin uh, to to kind of avoid you know making taking what the performance problems that we already have and making it worse uh, as we add new features based on the same the same layers. Uh, but then also to be able to then just kind of go back and start gutting the underlying um, business logic and persistence logic that we had and and optimizing that along the way. Um, so we're not doing that yet, but it'd be a pretty straightforward thing for us to be able to do, given given the nature of how the application works. Um, literally, our front end uh, is just a standard Ember front end, uh, and the only extent to which it is um, specific to Xamarin is in this interop layer, this one Xamarin uh, namespace that we use for, for invoking into native UI. Uh, so that that is a that is a potential future option, but um, I think I think for us like the bigger the bigger win is being able to reuse front end logic and front end structures that um, between both the web and um, and the native the native app. Right. And also, out of curiosity, I don't. I'm curious if you if you took a look at any of the 
the say like the Razor templating engine stuff that Xamarin offers, where you could kind of pump out HTML views based on C sharp models. We, um, I no, we had we hadn't really. I mean, we we already had an existing um, Ember.js like single page web app that was powering powering the Cordova application, um, and Ember has kind of its own built-in templating layer. Uh, it's 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 got a model where you know with the sort of dependency it does dependency tracking so that it can efficiently update the view whenever whenever a JavaScript model changes. Uh, so so a lot of that stuff we kind of already had wrapped up and ready to go in our Ember application, including an integration test suite that um, that ran using Ember's built-in tools. Uh, so we we didn't really have a need for additional additional capability on the website. Um, Ember, Ember did a, a pretty good job of meeting meeting our needs there. Um, and, and for this project, based on kind of the history that we had, the, the real need that we had was, how do we make it easier to, how do we A, solve the performance problems that we have, but, but B, make it easier to um, implement new features in a, in a more performant uh, way with, with direct access to the database and highly optimized code. Uh, but then also kind of opening the door toward potentially um, new features or new interfaces being implemented with native native UI instead of um, instead of you know doubling down on the web view. If it if it makes sense for us, for example, to pop up a native screen for inter, inter, interacting with the camera, being able to do that really easily, um, especially if we can if we can leverage um, the Xamarin Forms the Xamarin Forms stuff, you know we. we we don't have to necessarily go and implement that same screen twice. Uh, you know, we can we can we we get all the benefits of Xamarin Forms for building a regular native app, even if we're even when we're just dipping our toes into it, and, and most of the rest of the front end is done with web technologies. Right, and and before we kind of wrap up here, I I, I want to take a, a step back from the Xamarin specific stuff and talk a little bit about your your choice of using Ember and kind of experience around that too. Um, it's a framework that that I have a good amount of experience with as well, and and you mentioned it's it's testability and testing or uh, and templating stuff that um, are kind of the bread and butter of of where it where I think it, it works really well. But I'd be curious to hear your experience of you know, why you went with it and then how, like whether you ran into any performance issues with it on, you know, different operating systems or, or anything to that effect. Um, I think I think I've probably been the person using Ember the longest at Atomic. Uh, the reason that I, um, I originally started using it was just because, um, you know, I, I, I knew at, at the time this was, this was, you know, several years ago now, but at the time there were Angular and Ember were both coming out. I think this was before React was, um, you know, it was at least public. Uh, you know, there's this new paradigm shift coming along with sort of data-driven applications uh, that offered to be um, the the option of being a, a huge paradigm shift over what we had before um, using things like Backbone.js and traditionally, you know, kind of model view controller event-based uh, ways of dealing with application state. And the reason that I went with um, 
Ember at the time was just because I knew Yehuda Katz from the work that he'd done on Rails 3 and also before that um, on Merb, which was another Ruby web web platform that was kind of a competitor to Rails for a while before they, they ended up just sort of merging the projects. So I just kind of knew him and I knew that he did good work. And in particular, I knew that he that that he paid close attention to one, building something that was a productive, um, a productive overall framework for getting getting work done. But he also paid very, you know, pays very close attention to making sure that it's a modular, well-composed system. Uh, and one of the things that I didn't want to get stuck with was having something that was like a big monolithic framework, but then I'm stuck when I start to run into the, the limitations of what it can provide. Um, so we started using it for that reason. And uh, it's it's been, we've used it on a lot of projects now at Atomic because it's, it's worked out very well. Um, it's got... Uh, you know, a really sort of high-level way of defining um, data dependencies throughout your application so that you can kind of very efficiently uh, update the UI when the data model changes. Uh, it's also um, it's also the dependency tracking system makes it very easy to kind of introduce new intermediate layers of abstraction if you need, for example, um, an additional layer to translate uh you know, to help maybe massage data to, before you hand it off to like a view model, that type of thing. You can just insert a new layer and data bind through, um, and it makes it very easy. Uh, so one, it's very easy to, to kind of create these data-driven applications. It has a lot of features around it. It's opinionated, so right out of the box, you get ways of doing um, routing and um, you know testing and all the things that you normally need to do, uh, but those those components are also you know decoupled from one another, and you can always drop down to a, la a lower layer of abstraction if you need to, uh, because the magic maybe at a higher level doesn't give you everything that you need. Um, I, so, I do want to touch uh, on that just a little bit, Drew. Like the the idea that Ember um, has these strong opinions has been really nice um, here at AO um, for stepping onto a project that was maybe already in progress or bringing new people up to speed, et cetera, having this framework that you can say, okay, this is how mostly how an Ember app works and knowing kind of the, the big pieces that are there um, and the tooling around that is great for ramping somebody else into a, into a project they're not familiar with and just having this, um, this way of kind of knowing where things live and how things should be done. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, you, you, you can then explain the, uh, the reasons that we had to go down to a lower level of abstraction, we had to kind of buck the trend a little bit here, uh, but for the most part, all the big pieces are lined up and it's really easy for people to, to bounce around to different projects or ramp up on new projects, which is super useful for us. Yeah, but it, but it also, at the same time, it doesn't sacrifice modularity or layering or, or those other things. So, you know, you don't have to, with each new project, figure out, like, what, what overarching architectural pattern is going am I going to use to drive this thing? Because I, I'm, I'm assembling together um, kind of small decoupled libraries um, and then and thereby probably make mistakes, the same mistakes that somebody else has made in uh, how exactly, exactly to weave those things together. It's kind of... Ember is it's it is a lot of kind of small independent pieces, but they, it's also been brought together for you, so you can kind of hit the ground running and be really productive right out the uh, um, right out the gate, but uh, without being um, you know without being tied into something that's that's a poorly composed like a poorly composed monolithic system. I mean, to take a step back, it's just really you know really easy to dive in, really powerful data binding features. Um, its integration testing system is really fantastic. Uh, 
it has this amazing this this really great feature where um, unlike any other any other uh, JavaScript front end system I've used it. Um, testing system is fully aware of what when the front end is doing something so you never have intermittent failures due to timing when your test tries to click a button that isn't there yet uh, because you know um, javascript is blocked um, but also because of that tight integration you can do things like oh well in our tests we don't actually need all of our all of our animations to take multiple seconds we can just turn those the, dial those down to to zero um, we actually don't need a our, our debouncer, our timer here to have a, a human scale delay, we can we can dial that down to zero. So we can actually make our um, tests run faster uh, in Ember than we can in a traditional um, uh, you know system test suite for web using um, something like Selenium because we can turn the timers all the way down. The test will still proceed in lockstep with the step with the application. So all of the time that your test might otherwise spend waiting for an animation to finish uh, can go down to zero, and you can you can churn through um, the test suite really really quickly. So we're 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 pretty big fans of it here. Um, I think I think the main thing that that would probably lead us toward looking at other options is finding uh, finding better ways of of leveraging effort across platforms. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned that I was at .NET Fringe the other day, we spent a bunch of time hacking on F Sharp and looking into um, Fable, and you know, kind of asking this like dream of like, hey, can we can we write F Sharp for server side, uh, native mobile and uh, web front end, and have you know shared logic across those have have this great type system that that kind of uh, can detect a lot of issues at compile time instead of having it be a runtime thing. Um, you know, using something more like a React model. I also uh, I also apologize, you guys, a little bit. I'm kind of, it was we got back kind of late from the conference and it was a uh, several days of lots of hacking. So <laughs> yeah, I apologize. Um any for any rambling <laughs> no no it's good i mean it makes it easy on us when, when everyone else just does the talking um yeah and, and and i would have to agree with a lot of uh, the the good things that you had to say about ember and and one of the things that's always been one of my personal pet peeves with the framework is just the size of it but i guess that becomes way less important when you're shipping that inside of an application as opposed to pulling yep. it down over a wire so that, yep. it kind of nullifies <laughs> that one the other thing too is that as a consultancy, you know, our our customers are paying us by the hour to work on their application. And when you have that type of economic situation, like it uh, it, it becomes very clear what's important, you know, and what's not. You know, it's 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 kind of like, well, if this is a B2B application, you know, how mu how many hours should you spend tweaking the the details of an animation? Well, if this is people that just need this to get their job done and they need to be able to do it efficiently and quickly, uh, that's probably, you know, probably we should be spending our time somewhere else. And size and ember, you know, that can definitely be an issue. But uh, when it comes to being able to get to market with a high quality application, like really quickly, um, it, it enables you to get there, um, you know, uh, really in a, in a really fast way. And they're, they're also doing a lot of work for running um, Ember server side, so you can you know do uh, render the render the page initially and get something on the user's screen right away, um, you know, and then let the let the downloading of the and execution uh, initialization of the framework happen, you know, while the the user's already got something to look at. Um, right. Yeah, the the fast boot stuff looks pretty promising. 
Um, yeah, but like, thanks. That's why I couldn't remember the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, one one last quick question on that, kind of before we, we wrap up, and and I'm just something else that I'm kind of wondering um, as you're talking through again, due to this kind of separation and the fact that on the the UI side, you really are leveraging like everything that Ember has to offer. I'm wondering if that also enabled you to have different people, like say dedicated front end folks, working on the mobile app that could work maybe against a mock interop layer or something like that, that never need to spin up Xamarin or, or do the, the kind of whole picture kind of development there. Well, it, I think that definitely introduces a, um, a nice separation. And um, we, we never got to the point of people not having to spin up Xamarin per se. Um, but what we were able to do is develop full Ember components in a separate application outside of that world for instance, get um, get designer buy-in on the op- uh, on, on how those widgets work, what they look like, um, and then just plop that in because it's Ember code and it's going to work with the other Ember code and wire that up. Uh, what we we're also able to do is, uh, because we had that clear separation, we would build out um, nice service objects in the JavaScript layer that would go all the way down to a service object that was going to make those Xamarin interop calls um, and stub those out uh, to, to get buy-in on what... Uh, things should look and feel like, or be able to build out the front end without the back end necessarily being there, and vice versa. So uh, that separation definitely helped a lot there. Yeah, based on where you know where we were coming at this project, like the the history of the project and what we we're trying to do, we made the call really early on to not even try to maintain the ability to run the app outside of outside of Xamarin. You know, the the a lot of the performance issues that we were trying to solve were things that they were very core to the the whole application. Like, you know, it it if keep it basically meant gutting what was a lot of the core data interop and data like storage and, and data um, processing that we were doing in JavaScript, gutting that and moving that into Xamarin. You know, it, it didn't make sense for us to maintain, for example, a JavaScript fork of that just for, for um, the ability to run the application separately. Uh, but yeah, because, you know, but we were able to, to take advantage of that um, ability in other ways, um, you know, when, when doing more focused, more focused things. Awesome. So, I mean, that was a that was a lot of really really cool stuff. Um, did we miss anything that that listeners should definitely know kind of about this, or did we were we able to kind of cover it all? I think that covers just about everything. Yeah, that covers a lot. Um, if I'm sure you'll post some links, but there's there's links to the the blog post that talks about some of this that we just discussed, as well as a sample application. So, if people do want to get started with this or try out something similar, um, I would say that's a great springboard. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks guys so much for, for coming on and, and sharing this. Um, like I said up front, like this is, I think the, you know, Xamarin Exposed is a pretty powerful hybrid model too. And it's just not something that gets talked yeah. about or even used all that often, I think. So it was really mm-hmm. awesome to hear uh, kind of a full-fledged story around that. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited. Like the next time I need to do some sort of crazy UI in Ember or whatever, Maybe it'd be React or it kind of depend if we were approaching it from scratch, like being able to just do like, oh, native app in Xamarin, uh, web app in whatever whatever uh, we choose to do. But then being able to like not have to fear uh, having to like go back and like re-implement things again and again and just be like, oh, we can just pick this up, drop it in a web view on Xamarin and define like one like a, a key interface or something something that we provide a diff- an alternate implementation of for the Xamarin app, um, you know, where it's 
you know, maybe talking to just some C sharp code and interop, um, interrupting with the local SQLite database instead of making AJAX calls to our, our API, that type of thing. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, Sean and Drew, thanks so much for, for chatting today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks.